This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty. It is brought to you by the Gladiator Gym. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 112. Today's guest was a writer on Seinfeld for seasons eight and nine, credited with writing six episodes, including The Blood and the Strike, Dan O'Keefe. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Go to our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 112, Dan O'Keefe. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 111. Today's guest is a writer and producer and some of the most accomplished and well-received shows on TV, including Silicon Valley, Veep, The League, and The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And of course, he was a writer and producer on Seinfeld for seasons eight and nine, credited with writing six episodes, including The Blood and the Strike, which brought us Festivus. Please welcome Dan O'Keefe. Dan, thanks for joining. Hey, uh, wait, I just realized, is, 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 do you put a video component up with this or did I just wave at the radio? No, we do video, <laughs> we do video too. Oh, good. Okay. I didn't just wave at the radio. Awesome. Uh, Dan, what a treat. Thanks for joining us. Um, So take us back. So 1990, you graduate from Harvard. Um, Obviously, you do a lot of work with with Leno. And then Seinfeld comes around in 97. Obviously, your first episode was uh, The Pothole. But how did how did the connection happen with with Jerry and the show? How do you How'd you get on board on staff with uh, with Seinfeld back in the back in the late nineties? I wore them down. I exhausted them. <laughs> in all seriousness, they uh, the way the process worked was you sent, or if you were allowed to have your stuff read, uh, you sent just pages of ideas and plots, and they figured that if you if they if they were willing to look at your at your capsule ideas. Then they, by that point, they would have already ascertained, I believe, in theory, that you could write a draft, that you know you weren't psychotic and all that. So uh, I, after much begging and cajoling, because I was unemployed for a year after I did a, a married with children season, uh, but then a new head writer came in and, and uh, brought uh, her own team in. So I was uh, just you know drinking bottles of wine and and uh, hanging out with my girlfriend now wife, and just coming up with I think I sent. 80 pages total. I, I remember because I would walk to Kinko's back when people faxed things and I would send them every Friday uh, like five to seven pages for uh, little short paragraphs of an idea per page. And most of them were just utter garbage, but it, a couple of them were uh, Kramer adopts a highway and um, uh, one of them based on something that actually I, I told my wife at the time, it was just an idea I had, but I did in fact knock her toothbrush in the toilet. And then I was, she used it uh, and I was afraid to tell her and then I wouldn't kiss her. Uh, although we did eventually get married so that, you know, that we, we, we got, <laughs> uh, and those were a couple of the ideas that apparently Jerry responded to. And so they said, we're going to give you a freelance, but it took, that took something like uh, I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that was like seven months of almost every Friday sending ideas. Um, Cause it was Seinfeld. It was this cultural phenomenon. And I was, you know, uh, it was very, very hard to get a gig on it. Uh, and so they said, well, all right, we're going to, we're going to get you a freelance. And then they, there was a production pressure. So they ended up compressing my freelance with uh, a freelance of Steve O'Donnell, who had, who had with, for a long time was the head writer for uh, the original, not the very original, like the day show, but um, Late Night with David Letterman, mm-hmm. so, which was very cool. Although I, I I think I met him once in my life since then, although we technically collaborated. Uh, and it came out great. And Jerry liked it. And because the that came out well, and uh, I was on set during some of the shooting of it, and I, I didn't bite anyone or, uh, you know, shout anything obscene, uh, I was lucky enough to be asked to be... Um, 
a story editor. I was not actually a producer on Seinfeld at any point. I was too junior. I was a story editor, and then I was promoted mid-year to exec story editor season nine, which was I was very excited about. Uh, and so that was it. It was it was just sheer wearing them down by so that they would, would hire me just so they I, they wouldn't have to get more faxes. <laughs> And when you say them at that point, is it just Jerry that's reading those you think without Larry there, or is it other staff writers like, uh, like a Melman or someone else? By definition, it was, uh, Larry was not there because Larry left after season seven. Right. And, uh, uh Schaefer Berg and Mandel became the de facto head writers. If not, in that's name. what I was wondering. So they were considered, so they were, and did you know those guys at Harvard at all? I don't know how the years worked there with you. Didn't they graduate from Harvard as well? Or is that no connection? I did, there? and I did know them there. They were they were actually a little younger than me, like a year younger. Um, uh, and they were some of the people that, fortunately, I hadn't fully antagonized uh, at college. So, <laughs> you know, being connected to people who end up working in Hollywood is, is only a plus if you didn't royally piss them off. Right. An undergraduate. Uh, yes. So, so um, I, I I wore them down, but mostly I wore Jerry down because you know he he was uh, he was in charge of course and and then you know it wasn't a it wasn't like he just showed up as if he were you know he was the star the, the guy's work ethic was insane i still have never seen anything like it we were told going into production don't make any plans for the weekend someone said what weekend he and uh, someone else said I think maybe it was jerry all of them and it's true we worked every single weekend during production and no one complained it was an honor and for a 9 a.m. Sunday rewrite, I remember one time I happened to get there early. It was 8.45. He was already there. He was already pacing. Like, where's everybody? So um, wow, he ran the show. Yeah, that's season eight, season nine. I mean, he could have coasted in a way you might say. I don't people, think, but he wasn't doing that. <laughs> I don't. My impression, and again, these are people that uh, I have a, a slight professional connection to. My sense is that neither one of those guys has ever coasted a day in their lives. So, you know, I, I don't think they have that gear. So that so that was ninety seven. Obviously, you know you were still a young guy. How did you get to know Jerry? Was it through like the Leno connection? I'm just curious how that I all came. Jerry, I got to know Jerry my first day uh, working there. I didn't know him at all. Like I, uh, I, I think Jerry did the uh, the J show when I was. I was only uh, on the Tonight Show for a year and a half. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jerry did at least one. Uh, he appeared as a guest at least once, but I I didn't. I never met him until I was in the office, having been uh, hired to do a freelance. Uh, and, and during the freelance, I think I said about five words to him. So I really oh. uh, only met him when I showed up for work. And I was, uh, it's odd given that I've worked in entertainment for 30 years. Uh, celebrities make me nervous. So uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think uh, I, I, he didn't know what to make of me until at one point I made him laugh, uh, not on the page, because uh, we were talking about the the part, for some reason he was talking about the part of the brain that enables you to enjoy pastry. And I think I said the streusel lobe and then he laughed at that. And then I was like, and then, and then I was like, okay, I'm good now. Uh, but it, yeah, it was um, no, no fools were suffered gladly at, at any point there. And, and uh, everyone took it very seriously, but it was also, you know, the most fun you'd ever have. It was, it was a blast. I, and I was very, very lucky to be there. Uh, and my hair was this color then, by the way. I was like 26. <laughs> my hair went 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 white at 25. It's genetic. I wasn't very, you know, it's not like I saw a ghost or something. But. Right. You know, we like we mentioned earlier before we started how we had talked to a few of the writers who were there, like season one, uh, you know, early on. And um, you know, the the what we got the idea is basically, you know, the idea is submitted, Larry and Jerry like it, they say write the script, and then they get their hands on the script and they do rewrites to it and they they kind of uh, punch it up and things like this. Um, without Larry there in seasons eight and nine, did did Jerry still handle that responsibility? Were you st was he still going through every script, uh, you know, by himself after it's been handed in by a writer? As far as that goes, I believe he took passes by himself, but mostly just in the interest of you know making up for you know uh, you know for uh, McCartney or for Lennon, whichever you uh, leaving right. the, the group that he, sure, he has. Sure. He had a lot of guys who were, you know, wings helping out. And and so there were many, many different sizes of rooms. There were uh, small rooms to go over ideas that were then approved. And you were sent off to make an outline. And the same small room would approve sending you to script. Then uh, in scripts, uh, the Jerry and uh, Jeff and Alec and Dave, I believe, would, would go through it. 
Uh, but then when people were punching it up, both before the table read and after the table read, uh, it was everyone. People were just throwing jokes in, and there was a monitor, like they're, you know, the classic the way it's done. Uh, and but yeah, it was very collaborative. But his hand, he, I, I will say that my experience there was that it was an incredibly collaborative process, and not out of the goodness of his heart. You had to earn your keep and, and produce. Uh, but also, he was in it every step of the way. It's not like he assembled a bunch of talented people and then went to play golf. Uh, he right. was, you know, he left, uh, you know, same time everyone else did two, three in the morning, whatever. Right. Cool. So Dan, let's start with the pothole. Um, where'd you grow up? Are you, I, cause uh, you know, Phil Rizzuto, obviously we love him here. Um, were you a Yankee fan growing up or did you, did you write that, that piece in with Rizzuto? I was, I was wondering I about am that. I'm a one. huge Yankee fan. I'm from New York, was born on the Lower East Side, but um, that idea was one of Steve O'Donnell's ideas. However, I was very excited because I grew up listening to the Money Store commercials and, and hearing my dad talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the 48 or 58 series, I forget which, and all that. Uh, the, the two ideas I contributed to, um, the the pothole were the toothbrush in the toilet and the adopt a highway and Steve O'Donnell contributed the uh, the Phil Rizzuto uh, keychain and the other one that I forget because uh, you know that was a while ago yeah <laughs> um, and you know I, I got a lot of jokes in it and I you know, you know wrote scenes of mine but you know this that was I was a freelancer and it was being rewritten by the the staff and by Jerry uh, but I, I, it came out great he, he I was thrilled I was watching I think it was on. He was on the Tonight Show. He was, he was on the show with my old boss, and uh, he said he was very happy with it. It ended up being the 150th episode. He said it was he was very pleased with the way it came out, and and Jay sent me a telegram saying, you know, congratulations. I still have that somewhere. It was it was very. He weird. said it was he said it was one of the best he's ever seen in the whole series. So yeah, you should be proud of that one. Well, I don't know if in retrospect he still thinks that at the time he said that, but yes, that was <laughs> huge. That was that was uh, like like everything else of being allowed to be a small part of it. That was a that was a huge honor. Yeah, I mean, like like anything, with a TV show, you know, it's it's interesting when you think about the writing of it because there's bits, there's pieces of it. Like you said, the toothbrush in the toilet—that's the idea, right? And that's a funny idea. But then they all have to come together, and there's there's not just one of those funny, ideas. It wasn't that funny when my wife found out that it really happened and that <laughs> she put a toothbrush in her mouth that had been in a toilet. That right. was a that was a rough patch, but you know. Right. Yeah, uh, it's just interesting how they all, yeah, yeah, they the all have to connect, you know? Together, yes, that, that, that is, uh, and I didn't have to do that weaving for the, the freelance. That, the, right, that, but for the blood you did, right? What's that now? For the blood, did you have, you had to do that weaving? Oh, yeah, once I, once I, was, once I, I got on staff for season nine, then I was involved in it. And yes, the weaving together. Originally, there, were, there was a, a whole other Superman-related plot for Jerry in the blood. Um there's some even weirder stuff, but yes, uh, uh, I, for that one, for the strong box for all the ones I was involved in, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're one of the weavers. <laughs> the, uh, while, while we're on the blood, was that, is that a true thing there? The combining of the TV, the food and the sex, or that's just kind of uh, imagination. <laughs> How did you pull that out of your ass? Jesus Christ. Yes. That was another <laughs> one of those. That was cause I had this hippie girlfriend in college who liked to burn a vanilla candle when we were in bed and it was distracting me and, and uh it was uh making me hungry so i i, I extrapolated a little bit and, and uh uh and that turned into that um yeah that was that was based in reality too um, and also that that uh i think that was the hardest i ever made jerry laugh and it's still uh you know look the birth of my son that was a nice moment yeah i'll always remember that but making jerry like really like honestly just belly laugh was was uh was probably yeah a little bit bit more uh, and, and it was because i think jerry asked george i can't remember if it stayed in the cut i think it did what did you tell her like you were you were having sex and then you got up and you left to get a, a hoagie and he said i told her i had a bus transfer that was only good for another hour and that <laughs> cracked jerry up and i was like I was so happy they don't really i don't think they even have that anymore i haven't lived in new york since 1995 no 93 but like you used to have to if you you had to get a piece of paper and then enabled you to you know to, to get on the bus without paying another fare if you'd only been on the subway. So Jerry took us all through it. So, okay, so you're, you're, you're pitching that, that he tells this girl, I have to go pay for a subway trip so that then I can use this transfer to a bus, the destination being immaterial, 
uh, and that she bought it. Yeah. Uh, so the, yes, that was, uh, that did, that's my long way of saying, yes, that was something that sort of kind of happened. <laughs> now, you know, you can just walk on the bus. They don't want to pay anymore. So do you, do you relate most to, to George? I mean, like when you were writing, who, who did you kind of, who represented you during, during the writing? Obviously like Larry always kind of leaned towards George. Um, uh, Melman actually said he loved writing for uh, Elaine mostly, um, and kind of the Kramer stuff was kind of the hardest. I'm just curious of the four characters, who do you relate to the most? Um, I would say I related the most to Elaine, but she was the hardest for me to write for. I got uh, there was, uh, but I the the Kramer and the George stuff came the easiest. I, I related to all of them. I, I was I was always trying to you know. Trying to get there was a story that we didn't we ended up I think because of time it ended up being cut down so much which might be might have been a little hard to follow, but uh, I forget which even episode it was in that um or even if it was one of my episodes that uh, Elaine had a friend who was asking her to uh, in the event that something happened to her would she raise her kid yeah and, it's the blood, it's uh, the blood. And she didn't think it was that's what was it the blood okay yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the idea was as I recall originally that she's like yeah sure why not nothing's gonna happen to you. you're fine then she finds out the friend has cancer and it's very definitive and she's like oh fuck i gotta i have to convince her i'm a terrible like mother so basically she was like smoking crack in front of her that wasn't it that, that was, but that was basically the idea and in the writing of it and the producing of it both you know it was the sense was ah, i don't know that's a little dark even you know even for this show and given the the rigor of, of editing you know these four stories to and uh, sometimes five to you know all spiral at, into the same point it was you know it might have not ended up quite like that but but uh yes i i i really liked writing for all of the characters uh, and i may have tried the hardest to come up with lane stories because it was hardest for me i would say but, uh, right. but when and i got in that was sat most satisfying i would say and of these secondary characters, and I just watched these the the first two you did, the pothole um, and the blood. And I don't know if this is intentional or not, but um, Newman in both episodes really doesn't have any um, any lines up until the the very end, and he's just kind of screaming in both. I'm just curious, was that intentional or? Am I analyzing this a little? How could I? How could that possibly be intentional? All the factors going like I'm not. I'm a junior writer. Like <laughs> I was. I was the puppet master pulling the strings so that in two separate episodes, like four episodes apart, he could have no lines until he was screaming inarticulately. No, that that was total coincidence. I <laughs> character. I just it, he didn't actually. I think in both of them he had more lines. They just ended up being cut because there was so much great stuff shot with that. Uh, you know, at one point. I did not think that the Festivus story was going to last in the strike because there were five stories. There was a, a George and Elaine, a Jerry, a Kramer that were all distinct. And then there was the whole overarching Festivus thing. And I, I thought we could neatly snip that in editing and save, you know, spare the world my family's odd story. Uh, but no, somehow the, through the magic of, of Jerry and Jeff and Alec and Dave, they managed to keep all those stories in there. And I still don't know how that happened. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, since you brought it up, I, I guess w you probably talked about this before. I mean, you know, we know that it's, it's a true story, Festivus. And to be honest, we 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 we're, we like the episode and we like the idea of it. But we we're, we're not big fans of how big it got as far as like it became like. I don't want to say catchy, but a little bit catchy, right? Did, did that? Did you mean that? The, you mean the way people adopted it? Yeah, I yes. didn't see that coming. I didn't see, that coming you didn't see it coming. How? How did you? How has it affected you? Have did, did you embrace it, or you were like, "This is this is too much." You I gotta didn't understand this. that was. I said I don't want. I've been saying this for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, my father was mentally ill and a drunk, but extremely brilliant. And for whatever reason, he invented this weird fucking extra holiday that was celebrated at random times. It did not have a set date. It was extremely upsetting. It was like borderline child endangerment. And, and uh, it was not fun. So my brothers and I had this deal. You do not talk about it outside of the house. And we just try to pretend it's not happening. Uh, so then we go to college and we're like, okay, that's behind us. We're done with that. And then because uh, my brothers and I have working entertainment, all of us working entertainment, uh, we're at a party and my loudmouth younger brother happens to mention this thing in in front of i think it was schaefer he's gonna be like what 
And he goes and talks to Jerry. And the next thing I know, Dave and Alec and Jeff are sitting me down saying, hey, Jerry wants to do this in the show. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. That wasn't a pitch. That I didn't pitch that. Mark just mentioned that. That's that's an anecdote. That really shouldn't be in the show. That's that's craziness. And uh, the show is better than that. And I, I think it's a bad idea. And they're like, look, it can go in someone's episode. It can go in your episode or it can go somewhere else. And I'm like, well, if it has to go somewhere i might as well have my have, have my name on it but i didn't pitch it i didn't want it to go in i hoped it would fail uh and be edited out and ne nevertheless the damn thing survived uh, wow so, and again and, and it was based on something i mean the reality is far weirder i have over there like cds that were remastered from the cassette tapes my dad used to make during the annual recording of this insanity which is mostly him him like screaming about internal readers digest politics in a deep slur while the you know while, while like my brothers are crying and my mom is telling him to simmer down and so i wasn't you know that was not something i agitated for quite the reverse so how do i feel about it taking off i try to block it out and you know what? it's open source like if like there's a guy apparently in wisconsin who sells polls every year good for him i hope he makes a billion dollars i don't want any of that so wait so, just so i'm clear obviously o'keefe i'm assuming you grew up with christmas like this was like a a separate kind of deal or holiday that he would do yeah, every once celebrated in a while? we were culturally christian uh my mom was quaker my dad actually my dad was actually going to be a priest until he got into a fist fight with a priest in the bowery in 1952 i still don't know what it was about but um in any case, uh, no, we celebrated Christmas. This holiday was just basically a way to celebrate. Um, it, it was basically an encapsulation, an encapsulation of alcoholism and mental illness into in one neat little wrapper. Wow! But but it, but in this case, we we obviously had the uh, the great Jerry Stiller uh, portraying the father. So um, yeah, no, he, and he made it fun, like the real like it was terrifying obviously and you understood why george was not in favor of it but he right. made it fun and it was uh it was jeff schaefer's joke the idea to give it a poll that was not the case the real symbol the real sim symbology of it uh was you know more peculiar and 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 uh not as wholesome as an aluminum pole with a you know good strength to weight ratio uh so yeah there was i was as surprised as anyone i was not a you know booster of this I, I mean, I was surprised to get on the air. I am beyond surprised that it seems to be something that has, to some extent, legs. If there's still a few people who who celebrate it, um, good for them. I do not personally. <laughs> I've, I've, I I did my time in that, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but but yeah, there you go. Fascinating stuff. The um yeah I mean we're yeah it's it's just it's interesting what takes off and 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 what doesn't with some of these things um you know we talk about uh, like the dinner party you know like my actually one of my favorite episodes of the whole show was a dinner party never gets its due oh that the dinner party is amazing me it's brilliant it's hilarious the black and white cookie run people quote that but the whole the structure of it is fascinating the jokes all just pop it's, it's a great great episode and you don't hear of it in top 10 lists of, of the episodes um, that I it is we have it pretty high it might be in our top 10 i'm gonna check right now to be honest with you so, yes yeah, so speak about dan like uh, we have an 18 what, what, but i definitely could be higher but we have an 18 by the way yeah what other well, let's talk about some of the old episodes. Like, like you grew up on this show right out of college. Seinfeld aired. Like, what inspired you? What are some of the episodes, like the dinner party, that you really just enjoyed and kind of I don't want to say modeled, but like inspired you to write some of these great episodes that you wrote? Um, I, I, it's very charitable of you saying that any of the episodes I wrote were great, but uh, I love the apartments. Um, Real, oh, all right. Uh, but it, to be honest, it was the and then again, this is this was a very not an a, not an uncommon thing in the early '90s. The one set shows the the Chinese restaurant, the parking garage, yeah. were like little Beckett one act plays. They were just perfect little found objects of comedy, and um, uh, those I would say yeah. those. I mean, obviously the contest you, that, that's indisputable, and. Um, did did you start sending those ideas uh, when you said it took seven months of bombarding Jerry? With, I, don't, you know, with, I, I don't remember exactly. It could have been. No, I know. I'm just. 
I'm just curious, had it been going on prior to that, like earlier on, or, or were you were you not really in the business of writing yet at that point? Like, were you sending like seasons four, seasons five? Were you sending stuff in, and oh, you weren't quite there yet? Seinfeld was 1994, I believe. So you weren't yeah. quite ready. Uh, no, yet. I was a writer on the Tonight Show. Like, I, I was, I had a full time job. I was okay. So you weren't looking to get into that uh, realm that yet. Time, I was just. Like I, I didn't, I didn't own any furniture, and I, and all, everything I, all the clothing I owned was army surplus. So I was like, I don't. Hollywood careers are like in the NFL; they do not last that long necessarily. Right. I don't want to stick here, so I told my girlfriend, "Don't move out yet." I have no idea, so you know, and I kept right. uh, showing up looking like a vagrant at, at the, the the Leno offices, and they tolerated that. Uh, so no, I, I wasn't. I started. I, I only managed to get the green light to send stuff in 1996. And then okay. it it took you know like I said months to to get okay yeah uh, Jerry likes a handful of your ideas four of them actually I don't remember what the other two were uh, and you're going to do a freelance you know actually I think I had the draft somewhere I could dig it up and see what the other two ideas that were initially approved were then it got combined with um, with Steve O'Donnell's and uh, then it went over well and I and I got and I got lucky I won the lottery so yeah it's interesting you just mentioned the NFL and it was I had wrote down a note here about. They talk about all the time in the NFL, the coaching trees, like it's like the Bill Walsh coaching tree or the Bill Parcells coaching tree and, and where these guys go on to other things. And I think of it with the Seinfeld tree, it's basically, you know, Veep and and uh, and Silicon Valley and these these shows, you know, these incredible shows. A lot of you guys that were on that, you know, you mentioned Schaefer and Mandel, Berg, um, you know, you, you all kind of came from, from the Seinfeld world. I, I don't know the timing of it, but... If, pretty sure afterwards is when all these shows came about, right? Like the league and, and, yeah, uh, and V. Yeah. And so I'm curious what, as someone who's a part of that world, um, aside from just, Hey, we all know each other. What is it more that's kind of created all these other shows that have been so incredible? Like, and what it's, what is some, do you see when you're on the set of Veep or Silicon Valley, do you see Seinfeld's like, inner working somewhere like footprint i guess or thumbprint well, you somewhere. see the you footprint of it all over comedy everywhere right uh, uh, the the idea that you n not multiple storylines together was not a common one when it started well it had been occasionally done before but making that a signature that's now you know de rigueur uh and you see that everywhere not just those shows i would just say that um, it was just very talented people who learned from the best. They got to learn from Larry and Jerry. I got to learn uh, for you know one uh, for a year and a half from Jerry and from them. Uh, I, in in terms of, I don't know. It, uh, the by the way, the league. Speaking of coaching trees, I don't know. I have no idea what that means. I'm, I I know baseball and boxing. <laughs> you said NFL. I don't know. I threw it out there. I worked the league was about fantasy football, but yeah, I, yeah. the league was great. The league is one of my all, all three of those shows are three of the greatest shows I don't know ever. Anything ever. about fantasy football. I know fantasy baseball. So every time yeah. I pitched an idea to Jeff Schaefer, he would have to translate it into football. And then he would try, he used to try to explain the rules of football to me, and I just couldn't get it. <laughs> like I don't know it's it's it's, it's my brain doesn't use that as an operating system. Um <laughs> but speaking of the league, an idea uh, that I that is something weird from my family that I did intentionally pitch was that, you know, the Baba man episode. Yeah. That I wrote, that was a character I invented to torment my younger brother over the phone. We had the game of phone chicken that's in the, that's in the episode. Yeah. And it was, and he hated it. He like, and, and I was one cause he would hang up because it creeped him out so much. I mean, it really like freaked him out. And that was the same brother who opened his yap about Festivus. So he got what was coming to him. And then I put it on. <laughs> <TV>. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, that's funny. And obviously, speaking of Seinfeld, you also um, uh, wrote for Listen Up. I did. Which, uh, you know, another sports show. That was the connection with Tony Kornheiser and Wilbon, right? That was the association. Yeah. Um, so what was that like working again with uh, Jason Alexander? Oh, that was great. And Malcolm Jamal Warner was a dream. That was, that was great. It just, um, if it had focused more on that it might have lasted longer i had a great time on that show i think as i recall vaguely it was on the bubble it was almost picked up for another season but it wasn't unfortunately but um yeah i had a great time and jeff martin created it he's a he's a great guy uh kenya barris was on it david lit a lot of a lot of really talented people 
Um, now, I read in um, a book about Seinfeld, I think um, Andy Robin talks about he hated the junior, he hated the junior mint, one of, one of the greatest episodes ever in, in our mind. Um, any any of yours that you you wish you could have back or you cannot believe it gets such great play um, or you love them all? Did we not just talk about Festivus for like 10 minutes? <laughs> well, that was more an idea versus, you know. Um, I think we got our answer on that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. An episode? Um, no, like the the ones I, I, you know, there are things in all the ones that I was credited or co-credited on that I that I was happy with and stuff that didn't come out the way I hoped. But um, is there like one particular episode that I'm like, uh I mean, if they're, if they're, no, because there, there's stuff in all of them that I really like. And, you know, there's obviously the, the episode that contains the thing that, you know, was a dagger to my heart was Festivus, but, uh, you know. And you were obviously, you were around. Um, we always like to talk about the finale. It's kind of a polarizing topic. People love it, hate it. You know, through the years, I've, I got a greater appreciation for it years later for sure. But, what was that? What was that like? I mean, Larry coming back to the set, like how different was it than, uh, you know, the year? It was like Jordan before. coming back to the Bulls, you know, but they're, except they're both Jordan. I mean, it was amazing. Like everyone, other than I think like Jeff and Alec and Dave, just sort of like sat back and watched. It was magnificent. And yeah, you know, people people were because it was a wrap up. People kind of forgot what the show was about, and I think it's aged well. You know that yeah, these are horrible people and you enjoyed them being horrible and you people somehow thought that at the very end of things, they were going to, they were going to hug and or learn. Well, no, like, you know, and I think that in light of the anti-heroes of the golden age of peak TV, which, you know, it has, has, has closed recently uh, in light of that, it's like, oh yeah, I get what they were going. I, I like the, the finale, you know I mean? So there you go. Yeah, I agree. I, I really had no problem with the finale. I think, um, a lot of the complaints came from people who were tuning in just for the finale and they were like, yeah, you know oh, what? Wait, Sometimes wait. people are just wrong. Like Game of Thrones, yeah. that final season was great. The people could like, they're wrong. You know, it's okay. Some people are wrong and that's okay. That was fine. They now those episodes were crazy expensive, so they didn't get to do, you know, at 10, they had to do seven. But that ever that that heel turn was coming three seasons away. And in the same way, if you had given a you know, a big blue, a data set containing all the Seinfeld episodes and said, can you predict a finale from these people behaving in these selfish, you know, peculiar manners? It might've been something like what, what ended up. Right. Uh, that's a good point. It sort of, it, it encompasses it perfectly. And that's what a finale really should do. And especially on a show like Seinfeld, where I talked about this before, we talked about the finale, a lot of people, most finale. Your background is the set. I just noticed yeah. that. So <laughs> my eyes don't work very well. They're essentially ornamental. Yeah. Oh, a lot, a lot of TV shows finales get sentimental. That's what they do. It's a goodbye. It's everyone crying at the sets closing. But Seinfeld never was that show, so it couldn't be that show for the finale. Therefore, it did what it does best, which is just like, here's what we got. These people, and this is what they did, and it was fine. It was good. It wrapped it up nice. Uh, I liked it, personally. Um, yeah, like, you know, people, even if they understood this is what the show is, I guess there was just a sense everyone had un, unvoiced that oh yeah but when there's a finale they're gonna they're gonna nod they're gonna just they're gonna nod and wink towards some affection why why exactly yeah why I, why would they do that now it doesn't make any sense um so, so dan how um we we talked to a lot of writers and uh guest stars and i said it's kind of such a close-knit kind of uh group um and Boston, man, who's um, I, that is that is the best get I've seen. That's awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> off to that. That guy's that guy's a force. Which Impressive. one was that? I missed you. Closterman. Oh, Closterman. Oh, big fan. Big fan. I, 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 yeah. Closterman. Just for, I'll throw it out there for our for our loyal listeners. Closterman's numbers are through the roof. Like he's had more listens downloads than anybody that, that we've had on and we've had some pretty big people on i thought yeah, yeah who would you rather listen to him or me i'm going with him <laughs> i interrupted but, you what were you saying no well i'd be remiss if i didn't mention um uh liz sheridan and um estelle mm -hmm. uh, they were in your episodes i'm just curious i just i'd love to hear any stories you have about uh the two wonderful mothers of seinfeld they were, I mean, they both were delightful, uh, incredibly professional. Uh, they, 
absorbed rewritten lines on the fly with grace and they got them right and they hit their marks. I mean, they were just pros and that's, that's a huge compliment. Now, like most people on that show, they were pros. They, you know, they weren't my buddy and, I, and they, that wasn't their job and it would have been weird. They, they were extremely warm and brilliant women and uh, they're great, greatly missed, but I, I'd be lying if I said that, uh, that I knew them well. Now, after every taping, we used to go to Jerry's Famous Deli in Studio City. And, you know, I believe it, uh, after uh, an episode or two, uh, I think actually I, I had some, you know, some chicken soup next to both of them at one point, and they were delightful. But I, uh, that was, you know, 20 something years ago. And I don't remember what was specifically said. I just remember the impression that they were great. And so was Jerry Stiller, you know, they're, they're all greatly missed. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, um, we tried to get Liz on, right. But I mean, obviously she wasn't in good health, but, um, the, um, you know, it's interesting. We talked about it earlier. I mean, you, you came in season eight, um, the first year without Larry. I'm curious from someone who you weren't there with Larry, but you still probably still can still get a sense of that sort of changeover. And we, we like to look at the Seinfeld show as basically almost three parts. It's, you know, Larry, Larry Charles and Tom Sharon's leave. And then Larry David leaves. So there's almost like three different shows in a way. There's three different tones at all three of those kind of runs. Um, yours being the back end without the Larry David there. What, what was the sense of the, of the whole set at that point? Was it, was it, let's get behind Jerry? Was it, we're a well-oiled machine? Was it, we're going to do our own thing because we're not Larry. Like, let's kind of carve our own niche here. Let's make our own voice heard. Was there anything like that talked about or unspoken maybe that kind of got, got felt by the, oh, by the staff? I mean, the, what I felt, the feeling I got was we're painting the final corner of a Picasso. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> I was just like, you know, this is, this is a, this is a landmark. Uh, this is the, even that, I mean, even the greatest uh, situation comedy ever ever made. Do, you know, do not let the quality slip, and that's why you know, I, I as I understand it, Jerry uh, walked away from uh, more money than God for final season because he cared enough about it to to you know to not let the quality slip. And wanted to go out on a high note. Uh, the sense I got was there was not we're pivoting to this, we're pivoting to that because I don't think, I mean, I frankly disagree. I mean, I know that there were tonal shifts when Larry Charles left and Tom Chiron's left, but there were also tonal shifts when, you know, when Peter left and came back and stuff. And, and there, when, 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 uh, when, when Jeff and Alec joined and stuff. And so, but those were, you know, kind of microtones uh, overall, the sense I got when I got there was maybe I was talking to myself was this is the most, this is light harder than winning the lottery. This is the, the luckiest thing that will ever happen in my life. And uh, you know, do not shit the bed is, is, is the sense I got. At least that's what I was in the voice I was hearing in my head was, you know, this is an amazing show that's been around for, you know, eight, eight, seven and a half years before the, you know, I, I got to hitch a ride on the last act of it and just, you know, pitch some ideas that are funny, write some drafts that work, come up with some jokes that are, that are solid. And, and then, you know, stay as late as any, as everyone else and, and get it done. Wow. And it was a blast. It was like, it was, you know, that in Silicon Valley are the most fun I've had uh, in, in my life. We had uh, Suzanne Cryer on as well. We had uh, Suzanne she, Cryer. Yeah, on. Love, love Suzanne. Yeah, Suzanne. She's great. The, Silicon Valley is an amazing show. It's really, I, I mean, it's so, it's so well written and so well cast. And so, I mean, everything about it, the, the acting, the writing, it's just all, it just fits perfectly every single time. Um, I mean, Mike Judge, you know, is obviously a genius, but and Alec Berg, you know, who is, yeah, who is also like who is mentally always, you know, playing chess with death on some lonely Swedish beach. It was just, it was really hard to make that show, <clears throat> but it was so much, so so satisfying, dude. It was, uh, I mean, no one, had, there wasn't really a, a serious show taking on that culture, uh, so there had to be a tremendous. And none of us. It's not like we were coding, other than Mike. Right. So we, a tremendous amount of research and and uh but it was um well it was like seinfeld it was it was really hard but satisfying work and it was and it was a blast well we uh we had the fake alec berg on uh mark de carlo but uh <laughs> what uh 
So I guess just to cut with the vibe on this, it, listen, everyone we speak to, it's like, you know, they don't have enough great things to say about Jerry uh, and obviously Larry as well. But like, was, was it competitive on the set with you guys? Like trying to get these scripts into Jerry, like, um, or did you, or were you guys more like family and buddy, buddy, or was there some kind of give us any behind the scenes kind of uh, stuff I, about competitive you nature of the writers? Yeah. As I recall, um, yeah, we all gave each other shit all the time, but it was a writer's room, you know? Um, and there was a sense of, I mean, at least my sense was keep your head down because I was, you know, the one of the the newest, most newly minted guys there. Mm. Uh, and sure, yeah, there, there were people got very heated about, particularly in some of the rewrite rooms, about what would work and what wouldn't work. Uh, but... Uh, no one ever threw an actual punch, so you know it's all good. Uh, but Jerry, at, at that time, Jerry had final say. Was that the right or? Well, well yeah. I mean, Jerry always had final say. It was it was Seinfeld. You know, it's his name. Right. At, at no point did he not have final say. Now, did he? You know, it, it, and it all the way the ship worked relied on if he didn't decide if he if he was unsure, then Jeff, Alec, and Dave would make a case and try to convince him something but uh yeah yeah he always said final side yeah you know was, Jeff uh, i'm trying to remember actually because it, i just remember how, how much fun it was I, I mean you know day to day there were some frustrations of of scripts that didn't work on the floor the way we thought they would stories that had to be excised in favor of other stories but uh yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember someone daring Andy Robbins to, to do the. He, he for some reason he thought he was going to be immune to that that gallon of milk challenge that your your stomach can't absorb more than a certain amount of lactase. So even if you know you will inv invariably vomit if you drink a gallon of milk in an hour, and uh, he did, and and he you know so I mean and stupid stuff. It was a balcony that was falling off the back of the building that people would smoke on, and and at some point clearly it was going to collapse, but no one thought that they were going to be on it when it was collapsing. Uh, yeah, it was just it's Building Five on the Radford lot, uh, Studio City. It was it was uh. And in, in those those uh, last year, did you know Julia, Jason, Michael? Um, tell us a little bit about those guys. Like, did they ever like say, "Hey, this this isn't me," or did you guys ever kind of collaborate on on how to, how they were portrayed? Or did that yeah. not happen? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, now and then something wouldn't ring true, not just with Jerry, but with one of them. And like, uh, and one of the actors that you just mentioned would say, I, I don't think I would say that, or uh, this feels wrong, or this feels weird for my character, or how about this? And, you know, they, they were, they were great at improv in, in addition to, uh, you know, in, in addition to delivering the material as written. So what were we going to say? Don't do that. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they ran with stuff. Some, some, uh, in some of my episodes, some of the best lines just sort of came out of them trying different things. Or, you know, they would say, this one doesn't work. So we had at all times to be ready to pitch alternate jokes on the floor. I mean, the original version of the line, uh, and, uh, and as I rained blows upon him was, and as I rained my fist, as I raised my fist in anger, I realized there had to be another way. And then, and then you know, I could tell he wasn't, you know, entirely behind it. So I said, well, what about... Uh, what, what, what if it were as I rained blows upon him, I knew there had to be a better way. Uh, you know, as if he, he already was beating the shit out of the guy. And, and, and <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's funnier because that, that, that shows just that he's, you know, what a loose cannon the, the guy is. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, Andy Robin a minute ago, and um, we were hoping to talk well, to him. By the way, soon as well. uh, he left Hollywood and went to medical school. Yeah, we got a hold of him. We got a hold of him. We're, uh, <laughs> we're hoping to have him on soon. Um, Give me Cabot. Yeah, him and Cavett together, which which leads me to like a, a show like The Frogger, where you know the 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 crediting always fascinates me with these things, right? Story by, written by, and you know, it, from what I've gathered, it's basically if, if you have an idea within that show, you're going to get credit somewhere along the line. It seems like for the most part, but um, always, I'm curious, just, yeah, how that works, like with partners and and sort of like let's just think of frogger if you remember like it's because kevin and robin are, are involved as well so maybe like how 
how something like that comes about where it's, you know, that collaborative uh, writing. Uh, I'm always you know, curious how that works. Team that then looped in both me and Steve Corrin. <laughs> yeah. Like, how does that, how does that come about? I think it, like, that either, you know? like, maybe Corrin had this, a, a very similar idea at the same time they did and pitched it. And one of the stories in it came from me. And then we, when we were rewriting it or uh, when we were putting the script together, I think we might've divided up scenes and I wrote a few of the scenes before they were rewritten by everyone. To be honest, I have no idea. It's lost in the fog of war. Uh, I mean, obviously people seem to, people liked the episode. It came out pretty good. Um, that shot. Oh my God. Like that, that took so long. The only shot I remember that took is, well, no, the, uh, the shot in the pothole that I recall the toilet side view uh Andy Ackerman set up a toilet like on a pedestal like with a glass like and put a camera underneath it so you could see the toothbrush coming down that took like four hours to do and then the rest of his dinner I think took like seven hours to shoot the whole thing because there were so many pieces to it right but um the frogger in terms of just the sheer danger of the shot I mean that was I, I think was it a helicopter I don't even remember it was, it was nuts how they got there was an got. overhead view for sure it might yeah. be one of those gigantic cranes that you use you know primarily for uh establishing shots in action movies and because they, they, then yeah that was that's, that that shot still amazes me after all this time dan was, your, was I, your... not, I don't know i don't remember how <laughs> uh i mean how credit works in hollywood is like you know how money works when you're divvying up a restaurant check it, it's it's mysterious it, it bends the laws of physics uh, I just know that it was primarily Andy and Greg, but Steve and I had a little to do with it too. But then again, everyone did. I mean, some of the best jokes in that were Jen Crittenden, some of the uh, and Jerry's and Dave's and um... more importantly, Dan, was your wife happy uh, that Kristen Davis pretty much portrayed her? I guess uh, in the pothole. I do recall that once that that was actually part of how I got out of not. Uh, you know, uh, having to be too mad at me was that, you know, the, uh, yes, this gorgeous uh, actress in the city is like, oh, well, I guess I can't be too mad because, uh, yeah. So there, there was actually a sense of that. That actually helped save my ass. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty, the casting of Seinfeld. I mean, the, Mark obviously, Mark, the magic of Mark Hirschfeld, that guy. I, uh, yeah, one of our favorites. Like, I'm glad he's one of your favorites, but in terms of you know, it was alchemy. Like sometimes he would like he he would cast he cast the guy from Colin Sleazy Friends in 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 the strike uh, to to play the guy at the, at the off track betting, and as I recall, I think a, maybe a like maybe it was Kevin. Somebody was like, I don't know, man. It's like a public access like quasi porn show. Is that really? But he was great in that part. He played an authentic New York dirtbag, which is the highest yeah. dirtbag. Uh, uh, and it came out great. And he was he, and it, he was he was hilarious. So Mark's <laughs> Mark's casting was yeah perfection. It was it was a joy to watch the casting sessions. Yeah, well, be remiss. What is it about? What is it about these Harvard guys? You guys all all sort of came. There's so many of these great writers that came out of Harvard. Um, and went on to different things in comedy. And I'm just fascinated by, um, you know, that sort of fraternity and, and sort of if, if there's from an outsider's perspective, it seems like there, it is a fraternity almost like you're all, you're, a lot of, you know, each other, maybe or things like that. Is that, is that true? Or is that just how it's perceived? Or is there, is there something there where you guys are sort of connected by a, a common thread that sort of has, has brought this all, all these great, great shows. That. It, I mean, most of the people who come out of it don't go into comedy. They, they go into, you know, other areas. Right. I'm curious. Like, they're bankers. When, like, when you're at Harvard, do you, do you see that difference between those people that are going to do that? And the people I was there a billion years ago. Like I was, I was, I was instructed. I was going to go to law school because that was the career that had been chosen for me. Uh, and so I was told I was going to be a, a lawyer. Um, and in fact, I wasn't allowed to watch TV growing up. So it did not seem like an option. Then I started hearing rumors. Oh yeah. You know, I hear this, they're working at Letterman and I, I, I didn't watch almost any television, you know, in college. Uh, so I didn't. I wasn't really aware of that world, and and I, my first job was I was a junior editor at the National Lampoon, which actually hated the Harvard Lampoon because the name was licensed from them, and they thought they were a bunch of snot-nosed kids. And yes, it was started by some Harvard Lampoon guys in 1969, but that was a long time ago. Uh, and I, so I was, you know, I, I was a, 
And I thought I was, my dad was an editor of the Reader's Digest 35 years. I thought, okay, I'm going to be an editor of the National Lampoon for 35 years. Fired nine months later in the recession of 91. Uh, so, I, I mean, is there a fraternity? It gives you an opportunity that like a couple other places, like, you know, The Onion uh, and mm. um, Emerson College, and there's a bunch of programs that all give you a chance to fail early and learn how to do, you know, how to take the first steps towards doing some kind of comedy. Uh, so in my experience, yeah, you get a lot of, you develop a lot of skills if you do the lampoon, if you're lucky enough to get on it. But, you know, uh, also having a, a healthy sense of not being an overdog helps you. Yeah. And here's the thing, Dan, like, however you grew up, whatever it was Harvard, I mean, we're just glad that whatever was in you brought that persistence, you know, that seven months you talked about. And then you had that that special run with Seinfeld. So, I mean... Last, it was fantastic. And it's led to so many incredible things. So we're just... This has been a blast uh, kind of going down memory road with you. We can't thank you enough for... Uh, oh, whoa, thank you guys for still being interested in this after all these years. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Dan. It's a, it's always, it's, it's, I never get tired of talking about the show. I get a little tired of talking about the festive thing sometimes, but that's only because of my, uh, my pre-existing condition with that. Yeah, we, we thought about not bringing it up, yeah, but. I had the know. idea of not even mentioning Festivus once this entire interview. I would have been fine. I know. I'll cut it out. By the way, I, the, like the worst thing ever published was that, was that ass rag book i wrote i got offered some money to write a book the real festivus and they're very nice people the publishing house and i was like you are so kind thank you for your interest i don't want to know i don't want to ever type that word again but then i someone else was writing a book right uh, and i was like you know what fuck that i'm <laughs> someone is going to you know wring some more money out of out of my you know my childhood trauma then it's gonna damn well be me or at least i'm gonna get paid a little bit so i only wrote it out of spite I love it. That's even better. That's a Frank yeah. Stanza move too. It, 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 there's an actual no. It's Jerry, wasn't it? Jerry returning a shirt out of spite. Yes. Yeah, yes. but also uh, moving to Del Boca Vista out of spite. That's I believe right. was That's another right. one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spite is, you know what? Spite is a is a is, a, is an emotion you should not. Uh, it's it's very healthy. Yeah, Larry carries it into uh, the spite store on uh, on Curb. I, uh, I, yeah. I know. Recall. Spite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful man. Jeff, Thank Jeff you so is, much. Jeff is now running that, and I got to say, you know, the league great show did. Uh, that Jeff created. And Dave is a great show that Jeff created. And Alex created Barry. So basically they created yeah. Dave Barry, the comedian, together. <laughs> Dave but, Barry, that's right. Dave did something harder, which is, or at least as hard, which is taking over Veep, a show that had been run by a Brit about American yeah. politics, of the brilliant Armando Iannucci, yeah. and keeping it at the same quality, but also acknowledging the reality that American politics had degenerated far beyond where it was when the show started. Like that to me seems hard, like almost harder than coming up with something out of nothing, taking right. an existing battleship and turning it around and turning it into an aircraft carrier. So, yeah, the writing on that's incredible too. Uh, that was that was so much fun. I love that. That was and again. I only I, again. I'm the Sandman. I come in and chose and help them ease into the grave. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got. I was there for the seventh season of Eve, the final season. It, that was just a blast. So, so great. Awesome. This was a blast too, man. Thank you so much, Dan. Love it. Really, uh, talk to you guys anytime. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right, and ask ask Andy Robin about the drinking a gallon of milk thing because he was a brilliant guy. He's a doctor now. He should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right, take care. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Have a great night.